<laughs> well, good morning. Good morning. You guys are good. What is tomorrow? <gasps> oh, I thought it was school. What? No. Isn't tomorrow Monday? You don't go to school tomorrow? Back to school on um, January 2nd. Oh, okay. So, what do you do tomorrow? What's tomorrow then? Christmas it's Day! Christmas Day! Why are you so excited about it? <gasps> Anybody else know? Huh? Why? Ah, yes, Jesus Christ was born. What happens tomorrow? Yes. Because there's no school. There's no school. There's an honest young man. <laughs> Anybody, anything about presents? <gasps> oh, maybe you don't care about presents, so we just... Yeah. yeah. What happens tomorrow? You get presents? Yeah. yeah. Anybody have a Christmas tree? Oh, and you find presents under the tree? Are they wrapped all nice? Yeah, yes. We only get presents because... Um, because Jesus got presents, gold, frankincense, and Oh, that's very good. All right. I can, we can go down. She's just... <laughs> so you get presents that are wrapped in nice, beautiful packages. Why do they wrap them up in beautiful packages? Why? It's a surprise. A surprise. Very good. Yes. Anybody else? Just a minute. <laughs> anybody else? Yes. Ah, very sharp. You don't know what's inside, but it's wrapped up, and they wrap it up so you want to open it, don't they? Yeah. Well, we have so some. So we have some presents. They present. wrap it up so it's appealing to the eyes. Yes. Well, we have some presents. So you guys stay right here. Don't go anywhere. There's two presents I want to show you. So stay right here. Oh boy! Don't get too excited. I didn't have a big budget. All right. Now, these aren't for you, so don't get too excited. So I'm going to ask... I need to be able to sit down here without falling down. Ah, don't look inside. It's not Christmas yet. So, okay. Let's suppose you came down tomorrow, and you saw... Whoops, you saw these two presents under the tree. Which one are you going to want to open first? Oh, yeah. Why? Because it's a fancy present, huh? Well, let's open it. Who wants to open it? Me! <gasps> well, then I better do it, okay? You ready? Now, don't get too excited. If it'll open. Can you hold that for me? I always do that just to make sure there's no little present inside. There's nothing in it. That's why we wanted the bag. Now give me have the paper because we got it. That's why we wanted the bag. You're smart. I need the paper back. Okay. Let's put this back because we got to clean up afterwards. Oh no 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 no. That's why we wanted the bag because it's This is just a brown Shaw's bag. And what did you say? That's tissue. Oh, thank you. You can have it. Baby Jesus. 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 Baby Jesus.
baby Jesus. It's a baby. Baby Jesus. Baby. 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 Now, why do we do this? Now, be quiet now. Because Christmas, Christmas is God giving the best gift that could ever be given. He gave us His Son. And many people missed it when He came because they were expecting Him to come all fancy and glorious and looking like God's Son. But instead, He came as a little baby born in a stable and people didn't under-recognize it. The manger is what He was laid in. The stable's where it was. So the Bible says God sent Him in flesh like you do and I wear. So people missed Him because they were looking for the outside package instead of looking for the real gift that's inside. That's right. It's the inside. That You guys are really good today. Really sharp. Yes, dear. Um, you get presents when you're good, but if you don't get presents, you, you, you'll be bad if you don't get presents. If you're, if you're really, really bad, you get cold. Cold, you do. What are you going to get? I'll put it in the kitchen. All right, okay. Well, thank you for all your help this morning. You can go back to your parents now. Thank you so much. You guys did a great job. There you go. Okay, Merry Christmas. I'll take my present home myself. Denny, I'm done with this. There's so much here. Thank you. Praise the Lord. All right. Now for you adults. <laughs> Praise God. This over here. You've got to become like one of the children. So I love it when they're involved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful children that you've blessed us with and the time with them this morning. And we don't ever want to take them for granted. Sometimes it gets frustrating and difficult raising children, especially in this day and age. But what an amazing privilege that you would entrust young lives to us for which you have a purpose, a call, and a destiny. And so we thank you for them. Father, we pray for people in our body today that may be struggling because for most of us or many people in the world today, Christmas is a joyous time. But we recognize this morning, Father, that there are those among us and those around us for which it is a challenging time, a difficult time. There are those that have lost very precious loved ones in the last years or so. And for that, memories are, are there today. Memories are there, but their loved ones are not. And it can be a time of difficulty as well as a time of joy. There are some, Lord, that are struggling just because there are pressures in their life right now. There's financial pressures. There may be health pressures and issues. And Lord, help us today to keep our eyes on the truth and on the future and on the hope that we have in Christ. And as we turn now to your word, we thank you, Father, that you have given to your people that which we need, your word and your spirit, Father, that by the word and the spirit we may grow and we may be strong. Everything we need, Father, is in this Word and comes from this Word. 
And so as we open this word together, we're asking the Holy Spirit to take this word and to speak it into our hearts, into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We've done, for those of you that have not been with us, we've done a a series this time in this season of Advent, which is right after Thanksgiving. Uh, Whoops. That's next year. You're getting ready for next year. (laughs) Or she wants the presents. <laughs> See, children are honest. That's what I want. We're just we're sophisticated, and we've been looking at 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 what Christmas is really all about. And our signature scripture has been John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave, and that verse is the entire gospel. For God didn't just love; He so loved the world, and the measure of His love is who He gave it to, which is the world, not just the church not just those that have been faithful to everyone that's ever lived. He gave His only begotten Son. And we saw that one of the key words in there is the word gave. Because this kind of love can't just hold it to itself. This kind of love can't just sit and say, I love you, I care about you, and not do something. This kind of love is compelled to give. And this is what Christmas comes from, God's compelling love that compelled Him to give the very best that He had for a world that not only did not deserve Him, it didn't want Him. And why? So that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. John chapter 1, we've been looking at that also because this is my favorite part of the Christmas story. Because this is God's perspective. We've had read today by both Everett and, and, and Gordon Udall, one of our elders, we've had read today the Christmas story out of Matthew and out of Luke. But John chapter 1 is God's side of the story, from God's side of the story. So John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the, the, the Word is, is Christ, the second person of the Godhead. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2 says... He was in the beginning with God, so we know He was a person. So let's keep going down on down. All things were made, this is important for what we're going to see today, all things were made through Him, this is Christ, the second person of the Godhead, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, what makes us alive. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. That means the, the darkness did not overcome the light. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God who was John. We're going to jump down to, when I find it here, John 1, we're going to jump down to verse verse 11. Well, no, let's go back up to verse um, 9. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world. This is the God's Son, the second person of the, wor- of the Godhead, who created all things. And the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. Imagine the irony. Everything that exists was made by Him and through Him, and yet the world did not know Him, which is where we are today. He was in the world, no, verse 11, He came unto His own, that's the Jews, and His own did not receive Him. So He came 
to the world that he created and the world didn't recognize him. He even came to his own. And the irony here is, as we talked very briefly with the kids, is they had prophecy and scriptures preparing them for his coming and yet they did not receive him. That's important. Verse 12. This is very important. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right, that's the privilege, to become children of God to those who believe in His name, who were born not of the blood, of blood, nor of the word of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of or out of God. So He came to His own. His own did not receive Him, but as many as received Him. Go back to verse 13. But as, as many as received Him, to them He gave... That's right, verse 12. To them He gave the right to become children of God. So He came to the earth that He created, that didn't recognize Him with the purpose of creating other sons of God, other children of God. And to give them the right, to, but to those who believe in His name, verse 13, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh. That's what you and I were born of. We were born of blood, we were born of the material things. Our bodies were born out of our parents' bodies. And of the will of flesh, which was they wanted it, nor of the will of man, but born, he came to his own, that those who would be born of God, out of God, might become children of God. And how did he do that? Verse 14. This word, the second person of the Godhead, God himself became flesh, took on flesh, took on a brown Shaw's paper bag. We talked about that last two weeks ago, about the word became flesh. And how, how, how degrading that would be for God who, who's not limited by time, never gets tired, can't be tempted. And now He comes and takes on flesh. The only trouble you ever have comes at you through your flesh. So now He was susceptible to being tempted. Now He, had, he was tired. Now He was limited in terms of where He could go and what He could do and how He could do it. He was limited because of this body, but He was willing to do that so that as many as believe in Him would become sons and daughters of the living God. We held, beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. We're talking about how far God's love compelled Him to go. We're not going to turn there, but in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays for the church at Ephesus and for us, that God would strengthen them by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ would be able to live in them by faith, and that they would come to know, together with all the saints, the amazing limitlessness of God's love. How high He's willing to go, how wide, how far wide He's willing to go, how far down deep into the dregs of society His love is willing to go. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. How far that love was willing to go. Luke chapter 2. Gordon, you had all just read it, but we're going to read just a part of it again to focus in on the very few things we're going to talk about this morning. will not keep you long. And it came to pass in those days, but the decree... Now, so with, now we know who it is that we're talking about. came to pass in those days that the decree went out from Caesar Augustus into all the world to be registered. And the census took place first while Quirinius was governing Syria. This is this way because Luke was a physician. Luke had an analytical, scientific mind, so he's giving you the background of what the timing of the, set, of the set, setting is. So all who were registered... So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city, the city of his, of his family's birth. 
So Joseph went up out of Galilee, out of, out of, from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered there for this census, along with Mary, his betrothed wife. She wasn't married to him yet, but he was betrothed wife, who was with child. And we read, Everett read the scripture, or no, it was read in the beginning, the scripture, that this was the seed of God deposited in a woman, Mary. So Mary is pregnant with the Son of God. And we've talked about that several weeks ago. Mary is carrying in her womb the Son of God, conceived by the Spirit of God in her womb so that He will come forth with flesh of man, but with the Spirit of God, the life of God. And that's the setting. Verse 6. So it was that while they were there, her days were completed for her to be delivered. She's ready to give birth. Verse 7, she brought forth her first son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, I'll explain that in a minute, and laid him in a manger. Stop there a second. A manger is a feeding trough. It's just a feeding trough where they put hay and food for the animals. And this is in a stable or some kind of barn outside of the inn. And they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. I was studying this out the other day. Swaddling just means strips of cloth. She didn't have a blankie. She didn't have, you know, well, these nice things you get at the ladies, uh, at, the, at the children's uh, 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 showers that they give. They took strips of cloth, cloth and wrapped him up. And I was meditating on this. Isn't it interesting that when he comes off the cross after dying, what did they wrap him in? Strips of cloth. And put him, in the, put him in, this time, in a tomb. But look at that last purse. Why did they do that? Why did they put him in this? The fact that he's in a manger means he's in a barn. Because there was no room for them in the inn. This is an amazing... It's, it's so easy to miss this. It's such an amazing scene. Because what we've looked at is here you have God's Son coming out of heaven. God condescending to be born as a human being carried for nine months in the womb of a teenage girl and then brought forth into this world and where does he choose to be where is he born he's not born in a palace he's born in a he's born in a barn and laid in a feeding trough why because there was no room for them in the inn and that's what we're going to talk about this morning why was there no room for them in the inn and I believe there was at least four reasons, and we're going to look at these, and this has an importance to us. Three reasons, excuse me. First of all, the inn was already occupied. They arrived there, and it said no vacancies. But any innkeeper has the ability to move things around. And, and if they realized that God had shown up, God realizes God showed up at their door of the inn and the innkeeper says there's no room. And we're going to look at why. One reason is because the innkeeper valued the people that were in the rooms already more than he valued that young couple knocking at the door. Because if that was the governor, if that was King Herod, there would have been room in the inn. Because of, 
He was a man of importance, obvious importance, that could have influence on the innkeeper. So the innkeeper had rooms that were filled with people that in his eyes were more important than this young baby about to be born. Second reason, I believe. They didn't recognize who he was. Why? Because he came in a form that it was not easy to recognize. He was not obviously God knocking at the door. It was a young, very poor, not well-dressed couple and she had a, she had a, a donkey she was riding on and, and, and they had nothing to offer the innkeeper to persuade him to kick someone out of the room and put them in. And he couldn't recognize who he was, who this, this, this was God, because he did not come wearing gold robes. He did not come carrying a scepter and an orb. He did not come with all the trappings of honor and all the trappings of power. He came in the most humble form he could come in. And we talked about that several Sundays ago. He didn't just come as a man. He came as a baby, dependent on parents to feed him, change his diapers, keep him warm. God loved us so much. He was willing to come down to that level, but they couldn't receive him because they didn't recognize who he was. The Jews were expecting the Messiah. And yet the Messiah was there and they couldn't recognize him because they were expecting him to come in his glory. They were expecting to come in His majesty. They were expecting to come in His power. And He came as a baby in a humble form. And because of that, they could not recognize the gift of God that was among them. Please make sure the time's on there because I'm going to get hungry later on. And we don't want to... <laughs> the third reason I believe that they weren't open to see is here you have this young couple. She's obviously extremely pregnant. And he, they had no compassion on her. Because there was no compassion on her, they weren't sensitive enough to pursue this any further. So they just judged what they were on the outside because they had no compassion. So there was no place in the inn because these people weren't important enough. There was no, there was no place in the inn because they didn't appear to be important people. There was no place in the end because they didn't have any compassion on this poor young couple. So where did they give them? They gave them a place in the stable. Now what does that mean to us? We're here on Christmas Eve of 2017. But today, God comes to each one of us. And He comes to us as humbly as He did that day in the barn, that night in the barn. But to most of us, there's no room in the inn. There's no room in our hearts. So we're going to look at that this morning in the little time we have left. So the question is, as with that innkeeper, God is knocking at your heart today. And the question is, is there room to let Him in. And I know I'm talking to a far majority of people that come to church regularly, but we can come to church 
And we can, we can sing songs and we can give and we can love one another, but the question is what place in our hearts have we given Him? One of the reasons He doesn't have place in our hearts the way He wants to is because there are other, th- there are other people living, there are other things in the, in the rooms of our heart that are more important than the Son of God who wants to occupy the rooms of our heart. And by that I mean a place where we care, a place where He has preeminence in our heart, where we love Him as God's Word requires. We love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your might, and with all your soul. And the question is, are we loving Him that way? Have we given Him that place in our heart, or is He just there? Is He in the barn outside? He's in our life. He's here. We know He's here. We know He's in the barn. But have we given Him a place of honor? a place of love, a place of respect. Because I suggest that if that innkeeper that day really knew that God was there knocking at the door, he would have moved whoever was in the most valuable room out and put him in there. But he didn't recognize who he was. Now how do we know what place God has in our heart? It's really easy to sit in church and say, I love God with all my heart. It's very easy to look at our hearts and because and, and, you know what we do? We, we evaluate ourselves based on our intentions and we evaluate others based on their performance. So we say, well, I love God with all my heart because I, I know, because I want to, but wanting to and doing it are two different things. How do we know whether we're loving Him? How do we know what room we've given to our hearts? Well, there's some very practical ways of knowing it. You just have to look at your checkbook and your calendar. What do you give? The, the two things in our lives that, that, we, that are valuable to us, our family, our, our time, and, our, and money. Money is a result of what you've earned, the, the time you've put into your life. You've spent of your life to earn the money, and what do you do with that is a reflection of the value that it has to you. And what do you invest it in? I'm talking to me as much as you this morning. This is the message I really felt God put on my heart. Because He's knocking at the door of our hearts and He wants to come into the rooms of our heart and fill them with His love and presence. But most of us are not letting Him in the real rooms of our heart. It's our time. We have busy schedules. We have, but the, how we spend those 24 hours is a direct reflection of the priorities of our life. Because the one thing we all have in common, you may be a millionaire, you may be living out on the streets, but the one thing we all have in common is we have 24 hours a day. What do you do with that? Is God something we squeeze in? And we, we may squeeze Him in on a Sunday a couple of times a month. What room do we give Him to occupy in our hearts? The second reason we saw is because they didn't recognize Him who He was because He was so humble. He came in such a humble form. God's approach to us is, is quiet and is humble. God doesn't pound at your door. God doesn't beat you over the head. God doesn't stand there and demand to come in. He's a very gentle, quiet approach to us. And we miss His knocking at our hearts we miss His calling us. We miss His drawing us because it's not dramatic enough. We're too easily distracted in the life that we live today by all kinds of things around. It is a battle for me 
Even on a Sunday service to worship because my mind is on what's got to happen next. I get up in the morning to pray and I'm very diligent to do that in the morning. But my mind's all over the place on what's got to happen, what I got to do this. Those are distractions. Those are distractions. And he doesn't come and stand there and say, demand, you're a pastor, you're my son, I demand this time. It's a subtle knocking. You get up in the morning and you don't realize how much God's been waiting for you to talk to him. He's waited all night for you to get up and talk to Him in the morning. And we just kind of either give it short attention or we don't even pay attention at all. We go through a whole day and, and without ever talking to Him and He's been waiting all along because He's gentle and He's humble. He's so easy to miss. He's so easy to miss. But you know when we value something, we know where it is. I know where my, my wallet is. <laughs> When we value something, we know where it is. And the reason we lose track of Him is we're not valuing who He is and that He's given Himself to us enough. Secondly, our pride and self-assurance keeps us from seeing our need for Him. I remember Pastor Sam, the founding pastor of this church, sharing one time, and it hit me like a knife into my heart. He says, when you go through a day without praying, what you're saying to God is, I don't need you today. I've got it all under control. And if I get in trouble, I know where to go. And He's gracious. But we're so self-assured. I can handle this. I can make it. And then if I get in trouble, I know I can go to God. But God wants us to go to Him first. He wants to be involved in your life and your day because He wants to be a blessing to you. He wants you to know Him. He wants to solve your problems. And we try to figure them out first without going to Him or doing it His way. Jesus told the Pharisees, He says, the only, the only people He's really mad at were the religious people because they didn't need Him. And He used this expression, He said, the sick people are the ones that go to the physician. Those that think they're well, they don't go to a physician. And he said, but I've come to those that are in need. Well, they were all in need, they just didn't know they were in need. The Pharisees were the biggest bunch of sinners there were, but they didn't think they were because they thought they were in great shape. It's interesting who he went to. He went to a Samaritan woman and, 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 and brought eternal life to her and then to the village. He went to the lowest of people. There was a woman caught in the act of adultery. Not that he was condoning it at all, but he was merciful and gracious to her. He was far less gracious with those that wanted to stone her. The poor he went to, the meek and the mild, because they would receive him. So we keep the door of our inn close to Him when we think we've got it all together. When we think we can handle situations on our own, it's because we don't know how much, how much we need Him. And the third thing we looked at is they didn't recognize who He was because they just weren't compassionate. They had no compassion on this poor young couple and said, we've got to find some place in the inn. They had no compassion in their heart And I think one of the things that keeps us from knowing God and really having Him in our heart is that we're not compassionate enough. We're compassionate on our friends, but we're not compassionate enough on those that are, that are in need. We talked last week about the, the, the Samaritan, the, the good Samaritan, and how he was willing to cross the street. And he was willing to... He didn't put limits on who his neighbor was and caring about his neighbor. And Jesus uses him as an example. And the priests and the Levites said, well, he's not my responsibility. 
We're living in a time when in order for Christ to become real to the world, He's got to become real to the church. And that cannot happen without us being compassionate on the needs of one another. Compassionate, caring. Jesus said some hard things. Matthew 13. We're almost done. Matthew 13, verse 14. Jesus is talking to them. He's just called them a bunch of hypocrites. He wouldn't have been a good pastor today. He says, you don't hear, you don't understand. He's talking to them in verse 13. He says, verse 14, he says, and to them the prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled, saying, hearing you hear. See, see we, we can go to church and hear, but not hear. But hearing you, you will hear, and, and seeing you will not understand. Uh, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. That's right. Slow down, John. Seeing you will see and not perceive. So it's possible to hear words and not understand. Because they're understood with the heart, not the mind. And seeing, you will see and not perceive. Verse 15. Why? For the hearts of this people have grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand, and their hearts should turn and I should heal them, it goes on to say. Make them whole. Save them. The prophecy of Isaiah was that when the Messiah comes, they'll see Him, but they won't understand who He is. When the Messiah comes, they'll hear Him, but they won't hear Him with their hearts. Why? Because their hearts have become dull and hard-hearted. That Jesus was only upset at the hardness of the... He got mad at the hardness of the heart of His own disciples because the hardness of their heart kept them from believing. So as we prepare for Christmas Day tomorrow and family gatherings or whatever it is you're going to do, recognize that today, today, today the Son of God is standing at the door of your heart. And the question is, is there room for Him? Let's close with Revelation chapter 3. This is the last of his seven letters that Jesus, now raised from the dead, dictates to John the Apostle on the Isle of Patmos. And he has him write seven different letters to seven different churches. As I've pointed out on a number of occasions, each of these letters is different, which tells me that Jesus knows what's going on in each church. And he wants to communicate to each church. And each one, it ends by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And to the last one of these, he has some very difficult things to say to them. I know it's not going to be up there, but I'm going to start. Well, verse 14, yes. And to the angel, that's the pastor of the church of Laodicea, write these things. Thus says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So this is God speaking to the church. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, because then, but because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you or vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich, talking about spiritually, and I become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you 
to buy from me gold refined in fire, that you may be rich, white garments, that you may be clothed, that your shame and nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye said that you may see. Look at this verse. For as many as I love, I rebuke or correct. We don't get that much in church today. And chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. And this is what I wanted to get to. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. That implies fellowshipping. And he with me. To he who overcomes, to he who overcomes, I will grant to sit at my throne. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. At that day, over 2,000 years ago, with this young teenage girl about to deliver and her, her fiancé at the door of that inn wanting a place to be warm, to be fed, wanting a place to bring forth into this world the Son of God, the Savior of all mankind. There was no room. There was no room in the inn. And the question today is the room in the inn of your heart? And if there's not, are you willing to make room? This is not the Christmas message that I had planned to give. I planned to give a message of hope and of future and of expectation. But I really felt God birthed this message in me. Because the greatest hope we can have is to face the truth. The greatest hope we can have is to open the door of our heart and allow the Son of God in, to bring His love in, to bring His peace in, to bring His grace in, to bring His direction in, to bring His purpose in. Because most of us spend our whole life trying to find out and then fulfill our purposes for our life. But you were created for God's purpose. You were created, and me too, for God's pleasure. And for thy pleasure, they were created. You and I were created for God's pleasure and God's purposes. And so behold, today the Lord stands at the door of your heart and knocks. Will you let Him in? If He's in your life, Will you let Him into the rooms that you want to occupy and you're trying to keep Him out? If He's in some of the rooms in your house, will you let Him into all the rest of the rooms? Will you give your heart to Him? Because He's given His heart to you. And the only real place of peace and victory in this world is for those who have completely given their heart over to Him. When you do that, your struggles will end. It doesn't mean everything will go well, but your struggles will end because the Prince of Peace is occupying all the rooms of your heart. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we acknowledge from this that as Jesus looks at this church, He knows where we really are. And it's easy for us to look at the at the beautiful stage we now have and the lights and the, 
and the sound systems and the, the comfort that we have in here. It's to look at the beautiful decorations. It's easy to look at that, to look at the full house today and feel comfortable and satisfied. It's, it's easy for many of us to look at our lives and, and say, you know what, we're doing okay. I've made it this far. But what do you see? What do you see when you look at this church? What do you see when you look at my life? When you look at my family? Those that I have been guiding and directing. When you look at this church, when you look at our lives, what do you see? Because your word says this morning you stand at the door of our lives, of our hearts, and you knock. Holy Spirit, let us hear your knocking this morning. Let us recognize the one who wants in. Let us recognize him this morning. In Jesus' name. In a moment, we're going to close the service with a song together. And I'm going to let you go even early, earlier than I expected. Before we do that, I I must give an opportunity for people to respond to the invitation that I feel God just gave to us. So here's what I want to do. If you're here this morning and you've never let Christ into your life, you may have been in church your whole life, I was. You may have you may have, have you may have even been in the ministry. You may have been coming here for a long time. But you've never really let him in your heart. Oh, you believe in him with your mind, but the mind's not enough. It's with the heart we believe unto salvation. It's with the heart we let him in the heart. Jesus wants in your heart this morning. If that's you this morning, you never received him into your heart to be the gift that God's given to you the one that paid for your sins and the ones that wants to be in your life I want to pray for you this morning if that's you I want you to let I need you to let me know you'd like my prayers to pray for you and pray with you but I need you to let me know by raising your hand I can't see very well up in the balcony you're gonna have to really wave at me I see hands over there to my right thank you other hands other hands let me put them down now a second invitation say pastor I've done this before I I know I'm a Christian but I'm not walking with him anymore I've just been out there on my own And, and this morning I sense he is knocking at my heart he wants to come back in he's never left you but he's not in your heart anymore if that's you I want to pray for you this morning but I need you to let me know by raising your hand Hands in the back. Yep, hands, other hands. Thank you. All right, here's what I want to do. If you raise your hand on either one of those invitations or you maybe you didn't raise your hand and you know you should have, I'm going to ask you to do a bold thing. I want to pray for you, but I want to pray for you down here. I'm not going to embarrass you. You're not going to make a speech, but I want to come and pray with you face to face. There were some hands over here. I think there was another hand back here. Please come. Please come. If you raise your hand, please come. Please come. We're not going to embarrass you. Thank you. This is the most important thing you'll ever do. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Just come and stand right here and face me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Just stand right here and face me. Thank you, dear. God bless you. Thank you. Just come here. Just family. My goodness. Praise God. We're going to forget about them for a moment. 
And I want to I want to lead you in a simple prayer. What's going to happen is what's going to happen God's literally going to come inside of you. You won't feel anything and take your old nature out and put a new nature in you. His nature. He's going to come and birth himself inside of you. And you'll now have his life in you. So you'll find an ability to to live for him that you would not have had before. And it's a beginning. It's a journey through the rest of your life. I'm not perfect. You won't be perfect. But now God's love for people and for you will be inside of you. So I'm going to and everything when we're done because God's word promises that everything will be forgiven. Is there anybody in the balcony trying to come? I forget about the balcony. Okay. Praise God. So I want you to repeat this prayer with me loud enough so you can hear it. He's going to hear it. And then I want to give you just a little bit of instruction. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for loving me this much. You know everything I've ever done. Everything I've ever said. Everything I've ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life just as it is right now. And I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your Spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. Now look at me a second.